This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by HostGator, where you'll get 24-7 live support via chat, phone, email, one-click WordPress installs, easy-to-use website builder design services and marketing services like SEO and PPC, and for my listeners, a 30% discount. Go to HostGator.com slash promo slash duct tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz. My guest today is Mark Schaefer. He is an author, speaker, educator, business consultant, and the author of a book we're going to talk about today called The Content Code, Six Essential Strategies for Igniting Your Content, Your Marketing, and Your Business. So thanks for joining me, Mark. I am so delighted to be here with you, my friend. So we've been talking about content for a few years. Um, I wonder if 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 you've noticed, and I won't give you my take on this, but you know, there's there's been quite a let's go back to say 2005. We'll give it an, a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you characterize sort of the evolution of the role of content in in the, the world we live in, or certainly the marketing world? Well, I, a story that I tell. Can you can you remember when you when you plugged your your laptop into the phone line for the first time and dialed up AOL or Netscape or something like that. I, I think I was, was <laughs> I was in grade school, but go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> yes, of course, I remember that. And then, and then, but and there was no place to go, yeah, right? Right. So the first they said go to NASA because they've got pictures of galaxies there. Yeah. So that's where I went. Now, between then. And now there's been this literally explosion of content. So, I mean, back then it was very quiet. And when I started to be, you know, when I started to create content, was a, which was a little later than 2005, it was about 2008 when I got serious about creating content. You know, there was a lot of competition, sure. but you could still build an audience. Yep. And today, the information density is literally overwhelming for a lot of people. And it's it's a good problem for consumers because this information density, it propels competition. So the content should be getting uh, better, higher quality, more targeted, more relevant, more choice. But boy, it's hard for, for, for marketers. Yeah, and, and I think it's not just the volume. It's it's the way in which it's used. I mean, I, I remember when I started mm. producing content, I mean, for me, it was plain and simple. This is how people are going to find me. Yeah. Uh, but today, it's really, it's the price of admission. I mean, you don't exist or you certainly can't be looked at as a serious player without content being a center part of your marketing today. Uh, well, that's exactly right. And the, the thing that makes it difficult is if you are not the, the first entry, the first market entry, it can be very, very difficult. I think the dirty little secret that we don't really talk a lot about in the marketing world is that to win this game, you don't necessarily have to have the, the, the best content. You need to find an unsaturated niche. You need to fill the niche and dominate the niche. And if you do that, Google is more likely going to find you and it's going to be difficult for market entries to enter, which is 
really one of the reasons why I wrote the book is what do you do in this situation? What do you do in this information-dense world? Yeah, because I think there are a lot of people that were told start a blog. Okay, I started a blog. Uh, so I'm producing content, and, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem to be changing my world. Okay, I'll go out there and build an audience um, mm-hmm. and and try to get some people reading my blog, but it still doesn't seem to be changing my world. And so you've added a third element to this, haven't you? Well, I think the first two elements that you mentioned probably worked in 2005, right. probably worked in 2008 uh, when there, it was a quieter place and there was less competition. And as you know, these content marketing budgets go up, 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 up. And so the third element we need to add is ignition. The, con- the economics of social media marketing and content marketing really have very little to do with the content. You can produce the content, but if it doesn't move through the system, if people don't see it, engage with it, share it, then you're, you might as well just you know, lock it in a safe someplace. It's, it's not creating any value. John, I saw a statistic last week that did uh, an analysis of B2B websites, and it showed that 80% of the content on these websites has never been seen. And, I mean, this has the economic value of writing a script and putting it in a vault. If, if, it's, if it's not moving through the system, if it's not seen, if people don't engage with it, then you're really not leveraging the value that you're putting into the content. Of course, the good news is you don't have to update it as often, right? <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> You're such an optimist. <laughs> um, you have in, um, I don't know how long ago it was, uh, I'm going to give you credit. You please tell me if it was somebody else who uh, who came up with this term, but you've been using the term content shock for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it was really kind of your first foray into, my goodness, we're all you know, we're all drowning in this stuff and it's, you know, it's no longer, you know, providing the usefulness because we can't digest it. Yeah, that, that was a term that uh, I started using really in 2013 and I wrote a blog post in early 2014. And the concept is, is very simple. In any human system, in a natural system, in an economic system, whenever there is too much stuff, Something has to happen. Something has to change. And so I was challenging uh, the marketers, the, the, the people who read my blog, to start thinking in a different way that more content and perhaps even better content isn't necessarily the answer. And so I've been obsessed for the last year trying to figure out what is the answer, and that's why I wrote the book. Well, and – you know, I have been saying for a while, and, and I'd love to hear your view on this, that, you know, as more and more content came along, you know, one of the roles that marketers, I think, could play, and, and maybe I think I have for a while, is being seen as that filter or that person that that can help you say, okay, there's 100 pieces of content you could consume, but here are the five that you should consume. And do you, do you believe that there's still a role for marketers uh, to do that? Oh, sure. And, and that's a very keen point. And a lot of people actually misinterpreted my, uh, my blog post saying, oh, you know, Schaefer's saying, you know, content marketing is dead, which right. is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, content is still very important. Content is the catalyst to make everything happen. You, you know, uh, by the way, that when marketers say something is dead, it just means it's not the hot, groovy trend anymore. <laughs> You know, like, well, as long as they're saying them, I'm not dead. I'm okay <laughs> with it. I can go. I can go with the flow. But you know, I think that uh, you know, I don't know if people are trying to be provocative or what. But right. of course, and I think actually, 
in this environment, branding is more important than ever. Yeah. Great content is is more important than ever. Yeah. So let's move on to a couple of the the oh you know there's another um, uh, point I wanted to share in here and this goes uh, it was on page forty eight. Um, you cited uh, a New York Times study. Mm-hmm. Uh, about why people share and, mm-hmm. and you know the kinds of things that they share and even the kinds of people you know who share and I think yeah. that's really fascinating because I think that to some degree and this goes with your code component of it because mm-hmm. I think it very much is a code is to unlock your content tapping you know that need for people to be validated or that need for them to feel like they're the the in crowd that can share and, and I think that that, that is very intentional isn't it well, I'll tell you, John, I'm so glad that you connected with that part of the book because that was so mesmerizing to me as I started to explore these reasons why people share. It's a very intimate experience. Yeah. It's a very personal, emotional decision to share content. And the irony is, and the dilemma for businesses is, how are we trying to get people to share content? through economic reasons. We're trying to advertise, promote, SEO, coupons. People share for intrinsic and emotional reasons, and we're trying to get them to share for economic reasons. So there's a new mindset, I think, that we need to adopt as marketers. And marketers are the ones to lead this, to think about how, if these people that are sharing our content are igniting our business. They're creating the economic value here. How do we find them? How do we appeal to them? How do we reward them? It's it's a very, very interesting new way to look at it. And, and I think equally important is the recipient. I know that if if you are, I know you, I know you mentioned Chris uh, Brogan a couple times in the book, but if, if mm-hmm. you or Chris sent me an email and said, you know, I read this and I, I couldn't help but think of you. Uh, mm. This is something you ought to read. Well, I'm, I'm going to receive that in that same, you know, emotional way. Whereas if you sent me something that said, hey, if you click on this and vote for me, I win, you know, 10 bags of M&Ms, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not going to be as as receptive, right? I mean, for the same reason. And and that's the number one reason people share content. It's, a, it's an act of kindness and generosity. Right. And, you know, the CMOs, the, the, the best CMOs, the best marketers out there, they realize this because... um, of consumers say, my buying decision is influenced by what I see people recommending, by what I see people sharing. And Mm -hmm. by 2020, 50% of our consumers are going to be millennials. It's even worse with them, or better, depending on how you look at it. They're the least trusting generation ever. They don't trust brands and ads and messaging, but they trust each other. They trust trust the messages and the content that they share between each other. So this this is where the marketing dialogue must go. And you know what I find fascinating? You know, you talk about they trust among each other. Well, certainly they trust those, you know, five people or 500 people in their closest circle, but they also seem to trust people, you know, like the review sites. I mean, they seem to trust people that that they have some some connection with maybe it's a lookalike audience, you know, connection, but they don't know them at all, but they but they they place trust in that. Far over, I know. Say, I know. It's 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 really a, a weird way to think about things that that they trust uh, a, a anonymous reviews on a site more than a than an ad from a company. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the forms of content and how they've changed as well. 
Mm. I know when when uh, when blogging first started, it was seen as kind of this snack size content. Three hundred to five hundred words was was a well, you know, if you're Seth Godin, you can you can continue at that uh, pace. <laughs> but um, but a lot of people now it seems have have really switched to these. I would call them almost epic posts. I mean, it's really mm. up the game. I mean, clearly you see uh, Buffer is a great example, um, the, the social media uh, app. Um, they, mm-hmm. they have a couple writers that just write these amazing 2,000-word blog posts. And, um, you know, I think it clearly demonstrates – well, I think it demonstrates a couple things. Google wants that. People find that useful. But it's certainly up the game in terms of, of type of, of content, hasn't it? And I, and I think it ups the game in a good way because, sure. you know, you, if you write 200,000 words and it's crap, it's still crap. Yeah. So what, what happens in this process, John, is that it, when people read a longer post, they're more invested in it. Yeah. And, and it, once they go through that 2,000 words or 3,000 words or 4,000 words, they feel I need to share this. I, I invested so much yeah. in this. The other thing that's happening is that they're investing in you. They're understanding you. They're spending time trying to understand what you're saying here in this post. And in the act of reading and sharing is creating advocacy. Let's talk about visual content. I, I sometimes uh, mock the people uh, that, that uh, put inspirational quotes in images and, uh, and live, on, live on that on Instagram. But having said that, uh, there's no question that visual content has impact, does it? Yeah, I, I call those the rainbow bombs. <laughs> if you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, be it you can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> with a unicorn. Yes. Well, that, that's the thing. If you put it inside an image, it's not as annoying, apparently. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of this um, enigma, isn't it? That on the one hand, we've got people spending time with two or 3,000 3, 3, word blog posts. On the other hand, they don't even have time to read anything. They just want a picture. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that visual content is hot right now yeah. because everybody's busy. Yeah. And, and, that, and again, I think that, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is it does add emotional appeal. I mean, that, that words alone may not. And that may be what it takes to get somebody to read 4,000 words. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. you know, um, one of the comments I made in the book <clears throat> is that uh, the most important part of your content is not the content. Mm-hmm. It's it's the headline or the visual. It's anything that gets you to read because, you know, people aren't sitting beside the fire with a glass of wine saying, oh, I'm going to sit down to a nice evening of blog posts. They scan these things. They look through the email to say, what what's the headline? What's the picture? Yeah, I, I was uh, flying home from, from San Diego where you and I spent a brief amount of time uh, together, but uh, I was paying attention to uh, – I was on Southwest and um, – you know, here's a, here's here's my self promotion. I had an article in Southwest Magazine this month, and wow. so I'm keenly paying attention to every person as they're flipping through, waiting <laughs> for them to land on my content. And what I quickly realize is they're not reading anything. <laughs> it's like they're passing time by flipping pages. And I and yeah. I think you're right. They're looking for the ad, you know, for the content that they want to read. Yeah, and you know, by that time you're on the plane, yeah. you're tired, you got two choices. You got to look at pictures in the magazine or play Angry Birds. That's yeah. about it. Those are the only things you can handle at that point. Yeah. One of the things you talk about is reviving old content. And I've, 
if nothing else, from a practical standpoint, you know, if somebody, if you're, if you're having trouble getting somebody to read, uh, or I'm sorry, to produce content, you know, showing them that they can record it as a video, they can make it a webinar, they can do lots of things with it. I, I think from a practical standpoint, it makes sense. But how does that fit into the content code? Well, I just think it's it's part of the economics of content these days. And, you know, people are consuming content in different ways. One of the things that I've found is that I've written, I think, 1,700 blog posts on my blog. And the the lifespan of a blog post is about four days. Yeah. After that, it's old. Yeah. Nobody looks at it anymore. But I've had a lot of good ideas over the last seven years of blogging. And so what I'm doing is – is, is finding some of those great ideas, some of those great blog posts, and recreating that into uh, – I've been doing experiments with SlideShare presentations. Mm. So one, one of my blog posts recently, you know, I get maybe 7,000 views or 8,000 views on a blog post. When I turned it into a SlideShare, it got 110,000 views. Hmm. Found an entirely new audience. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and with very little extra effort. So <clears throat> I think that's another way – all of us have to think about igniting our content. Well, and I think that um, I, I think as a rea- matter of reality, uh, people consume content in their favorite ways. And I, I know that um, when my books have come out, uh, for whatever reason, the audio version is several weeks later, and I get emails from people saying, "Hey, I, you know, when's the audio book coming out?" Because that's the only way I consume those kind of books. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm 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 moving I'm moving that way myself. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, a, a really interesting concept in the book. In fact, you spend a significant amount of time on something called alpha audience, and I think the idea of a community or a tribe and uh, you know those types of things have been talked about for a number of years. Um, but I really like the way that you go kind of deeper into it. A very, uh, in my mind, a very specific way. Yeah, well, well, thanks, John. Um, what, what I challenge people in the book is is to look at audience in, uh, in in a different way because the emphasis has been on numbers and quantities, mentions, let's say, mm. sentiment analysis, and yet um, the alpha audience, the people that are moving the content, are the ones that are really creating uh, the economic gains for an organization, and yet. We don't really focus on that. The, and, and, and many of the dashboards that I've seen, many of the metrics I've seen, you can't even really find those people easily. And so I think this is a challenge as we move forward in this information-dense wor- world. We can't have enough of those people. So let me give you an example. I mean, let's say somebody tweets you, John, uh, and she only tweets four times a month. But half the time she tweets, she mentions you. She's raising her hand and saying, you're important to me. I love you. I'm moving your content. I don't move content very often. But when I do, it's you. Our metrics don't pick that up. Yeah. We need to get more granular. We need, to, we need to find those people, celebrate those people, find new ways to engage with them and, and, and because those are the people that are going to help our business. Yeah, and I, I think there are examples of people that ha- that get that. I mean, you know, some of the really cliche ones, almost like the Lady Gagas of the world. You know, even mm. the Taylor Swifts of the world. You know, see these people that have these incredible audiences in in number, but also that are just you know completely loyal, would run through walls for them, and and obviously you know buy a lot of product, buy a lot mm-hmm. of tickets. Uh, but I think that they have a tendency to really get 
even at that scale, you well, know, I, how to make well, decisions I mean, for those people. Well, think about that scale. And I mean, if Taylor Swift can do it, why can't right. a big Fortune 100 company? Yep. I guarantee you she's got more noise and more fans than any of them. And yet she studies her stream. Yep. She finds those, those people who are helping her ignite and she cherishes them. She rewards them. She surprises them and delights them. And, and this is authentic and this is genuine. And if, you know, I, I think it's a great example. And I think that's the way we need to move. Why can't we move that way? You know, what's interesting. And again, I, I don't know that, you know, the marketing consultant or, you know, would, would work. But I think one of the things those folks get too is that they don't have, yes, they have huge numbers. They don't have to treat every single one of them special, they, they can almost treat the group that way. So by picking out, you know, the, the example of the Christmas gifts that Taylor Swift did, I mean, she mm. did that for about 10 people maybe, but I guarantee you, you know, 15 million people talked about it. Right. She's creating, she's creating a legend yeah. just, just through these, these uh, simple and heartfelt actions. And that's, I mean, that's the stream that runs through the entire book. Yeah. Number one, Emotion. That's what makes people connect. Number two, trust. You, you realize in this day and age, you can never, ever let your customers down through your content, through your response. Um, and uh, I, I think um, that's, that's the model we need to follow. Yeah. So um, what's the – I'll end it on, on this note – uh, since we've been talking, we talked. We started off talking a little bit about the evolution, and uh, obviously the book uh, can be content code can be uh, pu- purchased anywhere people buy books. I'm assuming, but do you and you, you want to send them to businessgrow.com or no businesses plural grow.com? Um, any anywhere else you want to talk about uh, um, folks finding the book? Well, I mean, you can... Or interacting with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can really find everything about me at Businesses Grow. I mean, nobody can spell Schaefer, so I had to call it something else. (laughs) Uh, And so you can find my blog, my podcast, my books. uh, And uh, I'm, you know, you can find my books uh, on uh, any online retailer. And I'm working on an audio version now. And I'd love uh, for people to connect with me and learn more. So let's uh, let's end on uh, getting your thoughts on the future of content or content marketing or whatever it is we're going to call it um, five years from now. Well, I think we are in the cusp of an extraordinarily interesting uh, time, and one of the one of the attributes I think of this world of information density is people are going to create filters and use filters to keep people out, to keep messages out. And that's going to make it harder for marketers. So I think this is one of the way. this is where, where wearables and augmented reality are, are going to make their mark on marketing. And I think this is going to be coming sooner than we can think. And I think if we, we're, we're going to be challenged to not just create content, but immersive experiences that, that get people to move out of their bubble and say, come spend time with us you know, we, we know you're not a fan right now, but come cr- try this immersive experience and, and try us out. And I think that's, that's where a lot of this technology is going to merge with marketing initiatives in, you know, I'm thinking 
we should be getting critical critical mass in that area maybe 18 to 24 months. Well, and of course, in uh, three or four weeks, we're going to see some of the first Apple Watches uh, walking around the street. Uh, so that may be that may be the starting point for uh, what you just described. Yeah, I think there's a lot of exciting things going on uh, right now in in wearables and eventually augmented reality. I mean, there's there's more announcements almost every week, so it's it's something definitely to to keep our eye on. Well, thanks for joining me, Mark. It was great having this conversation. Go pick up the content code, Six Essential Strategies for Igniting Your Content, Your Marketing, and Your Business. And, Mark, hopefully we'll see you out there again soon on the road. Thank you, John. Be, uh, I can't wait to see you again. <laughs>